Tonight I'll be speaking a bit on metta, about metta, but before I actually begin that part, I'd like to first start with uh, some gratitude. And that is gratitude to Mary Grace and to Bob and to Marcy and Jason for inviting me to be part of their teaching team. You may have noticed they were kind of helping out here. And uh, it's because this is my very first time giving a Dharma talk at a residential retreat. And uh, so they've been kind of midwiving me. And uh, the only strange thing about that is most midwives are female. And uh, I'm kind of old for a baby. <laughs> so, But I'm, I'm here, I'm being midwived into this process, and uh, you're part of it too. So... Um, I am definitely the new kid, but uh, and there is kind of a nervousness and kind of a fear of falling, and that's really all interesting because it's all part of our practice. I kind of understand that to do this, I have to walk through whatever this process is with the obsessiveness and the... Um, <coughs> chewing on it, chewing on all the ideas that have come up, sort of like a dog chewing on a bone, over and over again. Um, It just seems to be the way it is. But anyway, I feel very supported by my mentors and friends, and I'm glad that I'm doing this. I'm happy to be here with you. So the other kind of gratitudes I like to think about, and this happens for me before I start my practice, before I start my meditation practice, and it's actually felt to be helpful for you too to find something that you feel really grateful for. So maybe just take a moment right now and just reflect. someone or something that makes you feel grateful. And if we think back to all the reasons and all the conditions and all the people that have supported us to be at this moment right now at the retreat, We have this really precious opportunity, this precious human life, this gift of human life, which is said to be just the right balance to bring us to awakening. And I like to reflect also on how lucky we are to be exposed to the Buddha's teachings. And how lucky we are to be have such access here in this area, in this country, to incredible teachings. So when you reflect on your gratitude, it has the effect of opening your heart a little bit. And the practice of metta is about opening your heart. There are lots of ways to prepare it, and gratitude is one of them. So you might try that. You might try reflecting on someone 
that you feel grateful for or something. Also, I've thought a lot about how there's already been so much welcoming and so much kindness extended to you through the, from the very first day here when you were told to take care of yourself, to rest if you needed to, to balance your energy, to greet your experience with as much kindness as you could, to let go of judgment. There's so many things that have been said and each one has made me perk up because those are all messages of great kindness and compassion. But I don't know if you heard them. And the reason I say that is because thinking back to my first retreat, I'm sure those things were said. I'm sure there was a welcoming, but I can tell you I didn't hear one of them. I didn't access not none, absolutely none. I couldn't hear it. <coughs> I was pretty uncomfortable physically. That caused a lot of emotional reaction and a lot of mental proliferation. So the welcoming, the the kindness that was extended throughout kind of passed me by. So I hope it hasn't passed you by so far. So maybe just even take another moment right now and see if you can sense at this point, after the second day, any of the kindness or welcoming (coughs) that's really here for you. Each of us, just by being here, is supporting you, supporting all of us in our practice. You're supporting me too. And you belong. Did you know that? Each one of you belongs. If you felt that maybe you didn't, you weren't good enough, or your practice wasn't advanced enough, or many other reasons, or you weren't concentrated enough, or you were too scattered, or you weren't kind enough, or something, it doesn't matter. You belong. And every aspect of your experience belongs too. There's nothing. There's nothing that's outside the circle of what belongs, of what you can mindfully be aware of, and of what you can bring your own kindness to as well. So... I'm feeling that right now. I don't know if it's something you can feel, but you could just pause. This practice is also one of understanding that we're not separate, that we really are connected, that we're interdependent. We look like we're individuals, but it's our perception. 
The earth also looks like it's flat, but it's not. It also seems like the earth is, the sun should be going around the earth. They felt that way for a long time, but it's not. So we do see ourselves as individuals, and it's very convenient to have that in mind for functioning in our world the way it is. But we're very connected. And metta helps us erase some of the illusion of separateness. I mentioned that my first retreat was so difficult. One of the things that happened, and maybe it it happened for you too, is that all the five hindrances came to visit me. I don't know if they've come to visit you or not. I wanted things that I didn't have, the, uh, the wanting mind, the greedy mind, the grasping mind. I certainly was aversive. That was my main reaction to everything. I didn't want to feel uncomfortable. I didn't, there were times I felt like a a hot chili factory. I just was so hot and my knees were so sore. And I looked all around, but I didn't notice that anybody was sitting on a chair. So I stayed in my cushion. And I definitely was sleepy. I was sleepy during this too, this retreat. Maybe some of you have been sleepy or have experienced sloth and torpor, which is really very diminished energy and not much effort is able to be expended during that time. And that would alternate with restlessness, a feeling of hardly being able to stay in my skin wanting to get out, wanting to go, leave, now. And then, of course, there was lots of doubt. I couldn't see how this practice could possibly work. I didn't know why I'd signed up for it. I was in a pretty bad state of mind for a lot of it, so you might say, oh, well, that happened. My question that I sometimes ask myself is, why did I sign up for a second retreat? (laughs) but I did I don't know what it was I think that's the dividing line you know Um, if you've had a really hard time there's some people who say that's enough and there are other people who say I'm going to try it again maybe it's masochism I don't know (laughs) but I did and I'm really happy I did I can say that the practice I feel like it saved my life. I know Jason said that last night. And when he said that, I perked up too because I I thought, that's my line. Um, It has saved my life. I can honestly say I would have made a mess of so many situations without the practice. So many situations. And I think metta has been particularly helpful for me It's been a practice that I've used for about the last 10 to 11 years. And I've used it as a formal practice and an informal practice. And I'm going to explain a little bit about those.
and I'm also going to talk about ways of dealing with these difficult mind states and these difficult emotions, actually difficult physical sensation too. So you might think, since I was talking about the hindrances as a new yogi, that that doesn't happen anymore. And that the people sitting up here are never visited by the hindrances. (laughs) It's not true. I just want to assure you. They come and visit everybody. They're very kind. They're, They're like metta. They sprinkle over everything without discrimination. So the only... The only difference, if there is one, is that I've learned, and I'm sure my mentors have also learned, to first of all recognize them when they show up, and also to be very spacious about them, to allow them, to greet them with a little bit of kindness, and that when we can't greet them with kindness, then certainly to have some compassion for ourselves for not being able to greet them with kindness. So this uh, talk, as I said, was really challenging for me. Um, I want to tell you in all honesty that I've given this talk now probably about 20 times in my mind during this retreat <laughs> which means I, that's this is this is honesty which means my um, sitting practice is not exactly <laughs> it hasn't been very concentrated <laughs> and um, well, I've actually tried doing everything and I've been feeling a little scattered. But it's part, I'm also, again, this is where metta comes in. I haven't been, un, I haven't been ashamed. I haven't been unhappy with myself. I haven't been angry. I just understood that this is part of the process, part of my learning. And so that's another way that metta can be used. It's the fruit of all the other practice I did to come to this point and be able, even with a totally scattered mind, a lack of concentration, talking to myself a lot, to be okay with it. Because I think when I'm finished with this talk, I might be able to (laughs) practice again. Who knows? But then sometimes there is the after effect where it just keeps repeating itself (laughs) endlessly. (laughs) Oh, well. So it brings up fear. It brings up fear. And you know, people who are polled say that they'd rather die than speak publicly. And so, it's true. (laughs) (laughs) But I know... (laughs) I know that if I feel a lack of safety sometimes, I know that you do too. I know that I'm not the only one. And I have a sense that maybe some of you haven't felt completely safe here all the time either. Not because of anything terrible that's happening, but just because that's how it is when you start sitting and quieting 
and stuff comes up. As Mary Grace had said, you thought you came to the retreat, but you came to the garbage dump. (laughs) I like to think of it as a, a pool of water. And naturally, the pool is all stirred up, so there's a lot of silt in it. And when you finally leave it alone, it settles down. That's the good part. The bad part is it allows you to clearly see your garbage, (laughs) to see all this stuff that you haven't looked at, that's been unattended, uncared for. And that causes some fear. And it definitely takes some courage to turn toward it, to pay attention to it in a kind way especially, without aversion, without pushing it away, without being angry at it. So you know, the first one of the first teachings that the Buddha gave the monks was one on loving kindness. It was because he had sent them into the forest, into the jungle, to practice at the root of a tree. But what they didn't know, of course, is that this area was surrounded by tree spirits. And when they saw the monks practicing in their territory, they were not very happy, and they did everything they could to get rid of them. They made terrifying noises and they produced very fluorescent, if they had fluorescent then, very fluorescent light, <laughs> scary, otherworldly lighting, and images of ghosts, really frightening things. And so the monks got scared, and they left. They left the forest and returned to the Buddha and said, we can't practice there. There are these horrible sights and sounds <coughs> and ghostly images and I forgot to tell you they made very bad odors as well <laughs> and terrible odors and so the Buddha sent them back to the forest with the practice of metta he told them to go back sit back at the root of the tree and begin this loving kindness practice So they began. And the tree spirits, after a while, got a little curious. And they started listening and noticing that there was kindness being spread around to all beings, including them. And then they got a little bit more interested. And then after a while, they thought, this is okay. And finally, they welcomed them. They welcomed the monks into their home. So you may think this is a sweet fable, but you know, we also have a forest or a jungle in our minds. And this practice of metta is one that deals with the fears, the images, the odors, the lights, the words that occupy our mind. 
And what the monks actually did when they were there is they changed the atmosphere. And we too can change the atmosphere through this practice. I'm going to read a poem about fear. I like this one. This is sort of like directions on what to do when you're feeling fearful other than practicing metta. Or maybe we could say this is a a particular kind of metta poem. It's called Fearing Paris by Marcia Truman Cooper. Suppose that what you fear could be trapped and held in Paris. Then you would have the courage to go everywhere in the world. All the directions of the compass open to you except the degrees east or west of true north that lead to Paris. Still, you wouldn't dare put your toes smack dab on the city limit line. You're not really willing to stand on a mountainside miles away and watch the Paris lights come up at night. Just to be on the safe side, you decide to stay completely out of France. (laughs) But then, the danger seems too close even to those boundaries. And you feel the timid part of you covering the whole globe again. You need the kind of friend who learns your secret and says, see Paris first. The timid part of you is covering the whole globe again. You need the kind of friend who learns your secret and says, see Paris first. That has a lot to do with facing in to your fears. We do kind of tiptoe around our fears and our difficult mind states. We don't want them. They're uncomfortable. They're difficult. Physical pain. Emotional turmoil. Mental proliferation. None of us sign up for those. They come anyway. I'm sure many of you have felt these things during the retreat and you probably feel them outside the retreat as well but you don't have as many distractions here you don't have as many distractions so I'm going to jump right into some ways of dealing with that, of those difficult mind states. And I did mention turning into. There's an acronym called RAIN, R-A-I-N. And I learned this from 
Kara Brock, who's written a book called Radical Acceptance. And as far as I know, it was her terminology, though I've heard other people talk about it. So this is what RAIN stands for. And actually, to me, it's really interesting because it's a twining of mindfulness and metta used together to work with any difficult experience that comes up. So the R stands for recognize. There's no way to deal with anything until you know it, until you see it, till it pops up in your awareness. So this is a function of mindfulness. The A is acceptance. Just accepting it for what it is without pushing it away, without grabbing onto it, without burying it, without annihilating it, without hating it, trying to hate it out of existence, without any of that, just letting it be there. And this is a function of metta, of kindness, of openness, of willingness to be with experience without judging it as bad, awful, unacceptable. And the next letter is I. This stands for investigation. This is your chance to really know it in detail. If it were a physical pain, you could sense into it directly feel it, to feel its quality, its intensity, its location, whether it changes or stays the same, whether it moves to a new place or stays right where it is. And in that investigation, you'll learn a lot about whatever it is, physical or emotional or mental. The other thing that happens is it stops being something outside of your experience or outside of what you want. Just by starting to investigate, you become interested in it. It's not solid. It's not stable. And every arising is different. Every, even if it's in the same place, even if you have 15 uh, knee sensations, each one is a new arising. And the N, the last letter, stands for not taking it personally. And what that means is that these are really seen as forces, energies, visiting forces or energies that come and go. They don't belong to you. They don't define you. They don't limit you. And that all of us actually have experienced them. All of us. All of us have experienced these difficult mind states and difficult physical challenges. 
I'd be surprised if anybody were here who could say, not me. So, one more poem about this. This has been very, this has been inspirational to me through the years. And it's about those visitors. This is a poem by Rumi called The Guest House. And I hope you have heard it before. This is one that I like hearing over and over again. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture. Still, treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Perhaps they've been sent as a guide from beyond. So I did mention earlier that there's a formal practice and what I call an informal practice. And we've been talking a lot about just cultivating an attitude of kindness, which I think is almost the most important of all. But this formal and informal practice also support each other, and they support this cultivation of an attitude. Mary Grace led you today in a metta practice that was the formal practice, if you were on a metta retreat, you would spend many days just repeating those phrases to yourself and then days repeating them to a benefactor and so on and so forth. And there are many other categories beyond the last one, the difficult person. So it's a little early to expect you to have any you know, sense of what that would be like unless you've already been doing this practice for a long time. But what happens is you move from yourself to teacher to friend 
to neutral person to difficult person, it starts getting a little bit more complicated, a little bit more difficult to extend (coughs) that. And we do it anyway. And then those boundaries start disappearing. The boundary between who I know and who I don't know, who I like and who I don't like, who's acceptable, who's not acceptable. Who lives a virtuous life? Who doesn't live a virtuous life? The qualities of metta are so different than the qualities of what we call love. And that's part of the problem with the translation of loving kindness. The word love is in there. Sometimes we use the word love for preferences, like I love chocolate, but not vanilla. Or, I love to snowboard, but I don't like to ski. You know, those are preferences. That has nothing to do with the kind of love we're talking about. And we might be confused, too, with the kind of love that we have with an intimate, a partner, um, or a husband, or wife. And metta could be extended to that person as well, But it's a very exclusive relationship, that intimate relationship. And metta is not in the least bit exclusive. Also, we have um, a circle of friends and family. It's not that love either. That love is based on cooperative behavior. You know, we have expectations for each other. In a partnership or in a family... I might take out the garbage and somebody else might wash the dishes. Or somebody trims the lawn and somebody else uh, rakes up the, the trimmings. There are all kinds of exchanges that are made that just help with cooperative living. But that's not everybody. And you have standards of behavior for the people you're close to. So that's just, it's not part of metta. It's not that metta can't be extended to friends or family or intimate ones as well. Metta is this quality of heart that knows no discrimination whatsoever, (coughs) that is completely full, completely unlimited. It's kind of hard for us sometimes in the West to conceive of that. But as I said earlier, the images Bob gave of the moon and the stars and the sun shining on everything or the image of water as rain coming down, covering everything. Metta does not care what you look like, what your gender is, what your sexual preference is, what your ethnicity is what your racial, national background is, doesn't care if you're pretty or ugly or old or young, doesn't care at all. Metta is just a quality of heart that's given because. Because we all share in wanting to be happy. And we all share in not wanting to suffer. 
even people who you find the most difficult, who may have committed unforgivable acts. They may be totally misguided, but they want to be happy as well. And they don't want to suffer. And I like to also reflect that once upon a time, they were babies. And there's no baby that's ever been born who was cruel. No baby who's ever been born who has committed atrocities. So that each of us is the product of our conditions and conditioning. of our culture, of our institutions, of our family, of our friends. So I guess there's one more issue. Do you think it's possible to develop metta? Possible to develop a mind state that's kind. Sometimes in the West, we think we're born with certain traits. We're born as a kind person, or an artistic person, or a musical person, or a scientific person, or a angry person. We have that idea sometimes. But Buddhist practice has always said that this is something you can cultivate. You can change. (coughs) Each of us can change. And it's unusual for it to just happen. What's interesting right now is the way neuroscience is supporting this. I only see neuroscience as another language for saying exactly what the Buddha was saying. They're saying that you actually can use your mind to change your brain to change your mind. And what that means is that your intentional focus of attention stimulates neurons, and when those neurons get stimulated, they fire together. They increase in numbers and in volume if they fire together enough. And it's the expression is, neurons that fire together, wire together. <laughs> so you're starting to form a pathway, a more usual pathway. And then um, the other part is, as you continue doing that, they say that you form mind states that from this firing together, you actually form a mind state, and mind states become traits. And all it is is your focused attention with intention. Does that sound like meditation? Mindfulness meditation? It is. The good news is that we have a choice. We actually have a choice every moment (coughs) on how we will direct our attention. 
And if you realize that the metta practice is one of directed attention, it's choosing goodwill over ill will. It's choosing kindness over cruelty. It's so easy to just feel a sense of irritation and and anger and hostility when something isn't the way you want it to be. When you bump up, bump up against something difficult. So this is a practice that helps us with our intentional attention to change our mind state. One more thing I'll say. There's always one more thing. I actually have a lot more things, but I'm not going to go on, I promise. I did say something about informal practice, so I would like to encourage you to do informal practice as much as possible. Anytime you're not sitting on your cushion, it could be considered informal practice. When you do informal practice, you just... You're like Santa Claus secretly giving out gifts. You might say, whatever seems appropriate as someone or something passes you. If it's a car cutting you off on the highway, you could say, may you be safe. May everyone around you be safe. (laughs) (laughs) If you have to wait in a line, you could um, express your happiness that people are being taken care of even if it's slow and as you walk around land of medicine Buddha you could wish all the creatures you see safety health and we're the creatures too and there are plenty of us so there are lot, there's lots of practice possibility right here in this room So I'd like to thank you all for for listening. I hope this has been helpful to you. And um, I have another one more thing, (laughs) which is a chant. And this one is called the Suffusion with a Divine Abiding. So it's got a really long, flowery name. But I think it's so interesting. The first two verses really are the most... Maybe somebody could pass this out as I'm talking. Some of these, uh, some of the copies are very crispy, you'll notice. That's because I, I spilled a glass of water on them. And I, I, I didn't even yell at myself. So. You get a crisp one. We're only going to do the left side of this. So when you get this, you can see the words are, May I abide in well-being, in freedom from affliction, in freedom from hostility, in freedom from ill will, 
in freedom from from anxiety. And may I maintain well-being in myself. These words became really profound for me because the image for me was abiding in well-being meant being free from affliction, hostility, ill will, and anxiety. So that means being not free is holding on to these, holding on to affliction, holding on to hostility, holding on to ill will, and holding on to anxiety. (coughs) And it reminds me that we can be imprisoned even though we're out here. And there are people who I work with who are in prison who actually are free. And it's because of their mind state. So we can chant this. And the way we do it, there's really only three notes. So the little carrot underneath a word means you go down a tone. And the one above means you go up a tone. And if there's a line underneath, you hold the word. And I'm just going to start, and you can just enter in. And any of you who know it, really belt it out so everybody can hear you. May I abide in well-being, in freedom from affliction, in freedom from hostility, in freedom from ill will, in freedom from anxiety, and may I maintain well-being in myself. May everyone abide in well-being, in freedom from hostility, in freedom from ill will, in freedom from anxiety, and may they maintain well-being in themselves. May all beings be All actions with intention 
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.